Now, um, that's not all that funny to me because I'm one of those people that's kind of uh, direction and instruction averse. You know, it's like, I don't like putting stuff together anyway. So I just kind of like, I want to get going. You know, I just want to start putting it together. How many of you guys are like that? You don't like to read the directions. You just like to go. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Many of you are like that. Uh, mostly guys. Most of the guys. Uh, yeah. Cause directions are for people who, you know, they want to get it right the first time. You know, directions are for people who uh, have never experienced or never want to experience the joy of reassembling. You know, we got to take it apart, put it all back together. Directions are for people who are too busy to start over. And, and I'm like the person who just likes to start, you know, it's like, I, I, Rosie's like, hey, let's read the directions. I'm like, no, 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 I got this, I got this. Which frequently means that I'm the person that has to start over. And, and then there's those things like you put them together and you can't get them back apart, right? You know, that's fun. Or uh, you've had the experience maybe if you're a parent putting together toys on Christmas Eve and the ones that Santa doesn't put together, but you're like trying to assemble those and you're in a hurry and you just don't read the directions. And we've all kind of had that experience where you put something together and you got to pick it apart and you got to start over. And that's okay if it's a toy or, you know, a piece of Ikea furniture or something like that, you know, it's okay. But it's not okay if it's your life. And so the title of this series is Starting Over. And the subtitle is How to Ensure That Next Time Won't Be Like Last Time. Because we've all had to start over something at some point in our lives you know maybe you're you're facing something now or you're fa- you know looking ahead on the horizon uh a relationship a marriage or a dating relationship or a friendship that crashed and burned or a different job or you failed a class at school you know some startovers are completely your fault and some some can be like startovers that are, are somebody else's fault you know, it's other people's fault. And isn't it true? It's mostly other people's fault. It's not, not our fault. You know, sometimes it's partly your fault and partly their fault, but it's mostly their fault, right? <laughs> yeah. So the start overs, you know, like no matter whose fault it is, yours or somebody else's, like your boss did this, or, you know, you flunked out and your teacher doesn't really know what they're doing and, and they, they didn't, it's not really your fault or the relationship didn't work out again. Whatever it is, you're having to start over. This series is for you. And the, this message and series were kind of inspired by a uh, pastor named Andy Stanley, and I'm indebted to him for many of the ideas and insights we're going to be talking about. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about this series is because, like, over the years, I've kind of had a front row seat to lots and lots and lots of students and adults start over all kinds of things. And it just kind of breaks my heart sometimes to see the mistakes that people make. And again, it's always easier to watch somebody else and kind of, you know, know what they should do. We've all had that experience. But when you're a pastor or a youth pastor, you know, you see it so much of the time, you just want to call a big time out and go like, hey, okay, can we just stop a minute? Because there's some basic things that if we'd all do right, next time will definitely be better than last time. And here's why. It's because we learn from our mistakes, usually in the areas that matter least. Okay, you know, like games, you're new, learning a new game, board game, video game, whatever. You only make a mistake one time and then you don't make the mistake again. Or, or sports, you know, like you're learning a sport or you're taking some lessons to do something better. You know, you learn pretty quickly. Or hobbies, you know, putting toys together or computers together. Texting, like remember when you first started texting? The stupid errors you made and you sent it out to somebody and it was, oh, that's the wrong person. You're like, oh. Or email, like you, ever, like you ever hit reply all by accident and you realize, oh, I think I just told the whole world I love you. You know, it's like something like that. So there, there's certain mistakes that you only make one time and you kind of learn your lesson. And it's usually in the areas that matter least that we seem to learn the most and we learn the quickest. But unfortunately, we repeat our mistakes 
in the areas that matter most. Areas of finances or relationships, things we do with our kids, things at work or school. And after we repeat the same mistake a few times and suffer the same consequences, we ask ourselves that question like, when will I learn? When will I learn? When will I learn? And it's a really important question. And the reason it's so important is because of of that word right there. I. I. Because the common denominator in all your mistakes is you. Right? You, You follow yourself around. Wherever you go, there you are. In your greatest regrets, there you are. And for some reason, you don't simply learn as quick in the areas that matter most as you do in the areas that matter least. Again, for years and years, you know, I've watched these things happen. I've watched teenagers and young people and adults make mistakes. And it's like, life's got enough unavoidable pain, right? You know, like, if, even if every single one of the decisions you made was perfect, you know, like, you're still going to have some pain in your life. There's going to be some disappointment and things are going to go wrong sometimes. So why in the world would you add more pain to an otherwise somewhat painful existence? Why would we do these things to ourselves? And so when I see people make unnecessarily bad decisions financially or relationally or academically, professionally, it just kind of breaks my heart because I think, well, well, that one could have been avoided. So as we talk about starting over, beginning next week, I'm going to give you three things that you absolutely have to do if you want next time to be better than last time. But today, to kind of get us there, I want to explore real quickly three myths. And as I put these on the screen, like, you know, you're not, you're going to go, yeah, yeah, of course, I see that. It's not rocket surgery. But sometimes we just need somebody to call out the assumptions that we're operating from. So three assumptions that I think we all make subconsciously when we think about starting over, moving on to a different chapter in life. And you'll probably just go, well, duh, you know, but if you're not aware of your assumptions, You'll con- they'll continue to drive your decisions. So these three myths real quickly drive people into bad decisions when they start over. Number, number one myth is, is just called the experience myth. Experience makes me wiser. Because you think, well, yeah, in light of what I just went through, I'm wiser for it. And I just got to tell you, experience does not make you wiser. It makes you older, makes you more tired, makes you poorer, makes you madder, makes you lonelier. But experience alone does not make you wiser. And the reason this is such a big deal is because people go, oh, I don't need to read that. You know, it's like, I don't need to learn. I'm I'm ready to go. You know, I know what to do. I know what to do next. I won't ever repeat that because I've had this bad experience. And you just need to know experience alone does not make you wiser. An experience one time doesn't mean you're any more prepared for the next time than you were the first time. So experience doesn't make you wiser. Here's the key evaluated experience is what makes you wiser. So one of the things we're going to do in the three weeks to follow is I'm going to give you some tools to help you evaluate your experience. And again, when I put them up there, you know, nobody's going to be like, oh my gosh, that never crossed my mind. But this is true, like, because you know, you've watched like other people who watch friends make the same mistakes over and over and they never learn anything from their past, even though they had a past. They, they never learned anything from their previous experience, even though they had a previous experience. So experience doesn't guarantee anything except that you know, possibly you've wasted time. But evaluated experience can be a game changer. Evaluated experience sets you up for success next time. So consequently, we're going to do a little evaluation in the next three weeks. Second myth is called this. It's called the no better myth. You know, since I know better, I'll do better. 
You know, that's the assumption. Since I know better, I'll do better. I'll see, tell you where you see this played out. You, oftentimes in like 15 and 16 year olds, when they get their driver's permit or their license, you know, they're like, they're an expert driver, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I studied the driver's manual and I took the driver's test. You know, I, I know what to do. Then you get the first snowfall or, you know, the first heavy rainstorm or somebody's heading down the wrong way down a street you know, toward them. This happened to me. I was 15. I was pulled out. And there was like three lanes, then a concrete median, three more lanes. And so I'm in the left lane heading one direction. This lady's coming straight toward me, kind of going slow, but um, I just panic. I'm like, we're going to hit head on. You know, what do I do? What do I do? And my dad's like, just hit the brakes. So I hit the brakes. She goes into the middle lane. And while she's passing me, uh, going the wrong way, she gives me this dirty look like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and I'm like, and then she goes behind me and then crosses over into her correct lane. And I'm just like, what in the world? You know, it's like learning to drive in Florida is an adventure. Okay. Uh, but you know, every 15, 16 year old, you know, they automate, they think they're automatically going to be a great driver because they know how to drive. And unless we pick on 15 to 16 year olds too much, um, read an, uh, survey, a thing, a survey just came out this, w- this week, this last uh, couple of weeks that said they, they uh, surveyed adults and they said that one-third of adults believe that they could safely land an airplane during an emergency. One-third of adults, when they just talked to men, it was 50%. So 50% of men think in an emergency, I could land the plane, right? You know, you've seen the movies and the TV shows. Yeah, they'll talk me through it and the, the control tower. I could do it. 50% of guys think they could do it. Um, other areas of their life, uh, people think that just because they know the difference between right and wrong, they're automatically going to do the right thing, right? Or they think they have the strength to do the right thing. And that's, that's everybody, not just teens, everybody. Now, this is an assumption that we have, okay, now that we know the difference between right and wrong, now we're going to automatically do better. You know, we'll, we'll automatically know better. So, but no better does not equal do better, right? No better does not equal do better, but it's worse than that. No better doesn't equal the ability to do better. And here's why this is important when it comes to starting over. Because you can think, well, I've had this experience, you know, I'm wiser. And now that I know better, I'm sure I'll do better. But there's no guarantee. Because in many cases, knowing better doesn't always equal the ability or the power or the self-control to do better. Simply knowing better doesn't mean you're going to be able to do any better the next time around unless you evaluate your experience. And unless you make some personal changes, knowing better does not equal doing better. Knowing better doesn't mean you have the strength or the power or the self-control to do better. Two completely different things. And in order to make sure that next time is better than last time, you got to know that. And you got to ask yourself, okay, if that's the case, you know, now that I, I know better, what do I do before next time to ensure that I actually do better? Okay. Second myth. The third myth is, is the time myth. This is the toughest myth. You know, time is against me. Time, time is working against me. The clock's ticking. I'm not getting any younger. Yeah, right? I'm not getting any younger. The opportunities are coming. The opportunities are going. You know, all the other people my age, all the other people, all, all my friends, all my friends. And so we go, oh, the clock is ticking. Need to get on with it. Time's a waste. And I learned my lesson. I know better. I had this bad experience. I'm ready to jump right back in, ready to restart, ready to sign back up and go out, ready to date, ready to be back on the market. I've learned my lesson. I'll never go back there again. You know, I got to get on with it though, because time's ticking. Time's my enemy. 
Absolutely false. In fact, of all the myths, this is the most destructive one. And you see this a lot like with second marriages, especially if uh, there, uh, there's blending families and you know, kids and grandkids and so on. Second marriages are very complex. Lots of challenges there. And if you talk to people who counsel individuals and couples in this area, they'll say that these individuals often have that sense of, oh, I gotta hurry, gotta hurry. And the counselors will tell you, we always, always, always tell individuals who are considering second marriage, time is your friend. Time is your friend. It's not your enemy. It's your friend. And we feel the opposite. We go, clock's ticking, you know, and we're lonely, and the sand's pouring through the hourglass, and we get all that. But time is your friend. And this is true of just about every kind of transition from a first time to a second time. True in every, every time, every arena where you're starting over. And here's why. Because when you've gone through something difficult, right, either because of a decision you made or a decision that was made about you, the truth is you're a little out of balance, right? And, you, and before you make another big life decision, you need to find balance. Because emotions are like the temperature, you know, it goes up and down. But oftentimes, emotions do not come down as fast as they go up. And you're carrying a little anger and a little resentment and, and carrying a little bit of jealousy and you're carrying stuff you don't even know about. So consequently, you know, you're a little bit off balance and your emotions are high and you're still dealing with some pain. And you know, like when your physical temperature goes up, it's because there's something wrong in your body. When your emotional temperature goes up, it's because there's something wrong, especially if it stays up. And here's the thing. When you're in pain physically, you become very self-absorbed. Anybody who you know, suffers from migraines can tell you. You, know, you get that migraine. I don't care about the rest of the world. Nobody talked to me. It's all about me. It's about my pain. That's, that's normal. That's natural. You know, when you're in pain physically, you're self-absorbed. When you're in pain emotionally, you become very self-absorbed. It's not your fault. It's the nature of pain. And I'll tell you where you see this. Like, if you've got friends who are going through some tough things, you know, like every time you have a conversation with them, you end up talking about their tough things. You know, and that's okay. We, we need people that'll enter into our pain and walk through it with us and, and let us tell our same story over and over and over and over. That's just life. It's just part of the healing process. But self-absorbed people make self-absorbed decisions. We just do. We can't help it. So consequently, jumping into whatever's next before you've allowed the temperature to come down, before you've kind of found your equilibrium and found your balance, that's a dangerous thing. And here's another thing as well. See, like when you're healthy, you have clarity. And when you've got clarity, you can make better decisions. And until you have clarity, you have no business making decisions, but that takes time. And if you wait long enough, you'll be able to hear things later that you can't hear now. Because there's some things you need to hear, you can't hear them now. It's not your fault. It's just you're not ready to hear them. But there are things that you need to hear before you move on to whatever's next. And not only are there things that you'll be able to hear later on in a couple weeks, months, year from now, there's going to be some people that you're going to be able to listen to that you can't hear from right now. Some people right now who are trying to speak into your life, you just can't hear them. It's not because you don't want to, you just can't. Time is your friend. Time is your friend, but it feels like your enemy. And the reason people rush into uh, these decisions and situations is because they're convinced, well, I understand all that, but my situation is different. My situation is you know, different than, than their situation. They're convinced personally. Now, I hate to tell you this because it might hurt your feelings, but your circumstances may be unique, but you're not. Your challenges may seem unique, 
but you're not. And after you hear enough stories, you realize that not even your challenges and not even your circumstances are all that unique, but you're in the middle of it and you're just absorbed by it and it's hard to see. And you may think, well, okay, Rob, that's all well and good. And I understand all that. And it seems like oh, good psychology, whatever. But what does that have to do with God and the Bible? Well, if you just think through for a minute, the characters and the narratives in the Bible, it's just really interesting that the people that God used in a significant way whose stories are recorded for us in the Old and New Testament, just about every single one of them had a first time, you know, first time failure, and then they had a second time. Most famous is probably Moses. We all, you know, know Moses, born into the household of Pharaoh. He realizes, okay, you know, I'm really not an Egyptian. I may walk like an Egyptian, I may talk like an Egyptian, but I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. So he decides, hey, got to do something about Hebrew slavery. So he gets into a fight, kills a guy, has to leave the country. And eventually he comes back, second time around, he's a savior of Israel. But there was a first time and then there was a second time. King David, same thing. He's anointed king of Israel, goes to live with Saul in the palace, you know. He, he's going to be king. He's living there, got it all going on. Saul gets jealous, kicks him out. There's an interval of time and David comes back and eventually he's the king. Or in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul probably the best example. He's like this super religious person. He's a Pharisee. He's devoted to God. He decides he's going to do something about all those silly Christians. That was his first round. God shows up, knocks him off his donkey, rocks his world, you know, and, and he goes off. He's got to start over. And he comes back eventually as the famous apostle Paul that we all know, who wrote most of the New Testament, second time around. And the stories go on and on and on. But Here's the part of the stories that you're going to hate, and here's the part that I hate, okay? In every single instance, Old and New Testament, where there was a first round and a second round, there was an interval of years. Years. For Moses, 40 years before he shows back up for round two. <laughs> That's encouraging, isn't it? For David, we're not sure. Somewhere between eight and 12 years from when he gets kicked out before he shows up again to be king of Israel. For the Apostle Paul, he's gone 14 years before he comes back and begins to plant churches all over the Mediterranean world. And in all those cases, there's actually a couple things that emerge from these people's lives. Two things that, uh, that I want for you and I want for me. Because when they handle them well, they emerge from those situations with a sense of, of destiny and this sense of abiding humility that God is up to something. God's up to something. Talk to any pastor. They can tell you that they've seen this happen in people's lives. People who have waited and allowed God to prepare them for what was next. Here's what you observe. They are, there's always more time in the in-between than they're comfortable with. But when they get this right, they emerge with this divine sense of destiny. You know, they come out the other side saying things like, God's up to something in my life. God has a, a purpose for my life. So I want to leave you with just one verse today, just one verse. Next week, we're going to look at some more passages of Scripture. This comes from the Apostle Paul, who certainly had a big, you know, round one and an even bigger round two, 14 years in the middle. Imagine Paul, like his past was so embarrassing, right? It was difficult for him to even be around Christians at first in those early years because all the Christians knew what he had done and it was embarrassing and it was public. There was nothing he could do to make it go away. And yet he saw God leverage that and actually use his past to set him up for what he was to do in the future. So with all that in mind, here's what he writes to some Christians who live in Rome. 
Here's what he said. He says, and we know, we know, which means we're confident about this. We know that in all things, in all things, the all things in this context is all circumstances. No matter what happened, no matter what you did, no matter what was done to you. The Apostle Paul says, I'm telling you, God's grace is as big as your experience. God's grace is as big as anything that's happened to you or anything that you've done. We know that in all things, and check out these next two words, God works. God works. So powerful. That means if you get this right, if, you, if you're willing to take a deep breath, maybe hit the pause button and decide, hey, just because I've had an experience doesn't mean I've learned anything. Just because I know better doesn't mean that I'm going to do better. If you, if, you, if you say, like, hey, if you allow him to, God will work in and through that segment of your life or that, that chapter of your life and those experiences that, you know, you just, I wish those would just go away and you know, I just want to start over and never look back. The Apostle Paul says God can work and use all things. And here's what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks. God wants to use all things. God wants to. And I believe, in my opinion, if you don't allow God to use all things, those all things will come back and haunt you. But if you respond in such a way that you allow God to use all things, all those things will show up in the future to potentially benefit you and, and benefit someone else. He continues, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And in this context, that's the people who said, God, I want your way more than I want my way. God, I love you, which means I recognize you're God and I'm not. You're the Lord, I'm not. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Your will is more important than my will. He says, for, for those people who love God, God works and can use anything and work through anything and redeem or bring value to anything to those that love God. Then this how he completes it. And though and who have been called according to his purpose. God can leverage purpose out of anything if you invite him to. Your Heavenly Father can leverage and bring purpose to anything if you'll allow him to. But if you rush and you just move on and jump right back in and you think you've learned all the lessons and you don't think there's anything to evaluate, you're simply going to have another round that reflects the first round. And possibly you've learned nothing. And there will be nothing to leverage and nothing good that comes from it until you're willing to submit and surrender to the Heavenly Father who loves you. And that's what we're going to talk about how to do that for the next three weeks. Because the good news is this, next time can be better than last time, but not just because you want it to, but because you're going to plan for it to be. Not just because you want it to, we all want it to, but, but we together for the next three weeks are going to learn how to plan for it to be. We're going to do away with those myths. Oh, just because I had this experience doesn't mean I've learned anything. Just because I know better doesn't mean I'm going to do better. And just because I'm in a hurry doesn't mean that I need to be in a hurry. And, you know, if while it looks like time's wasting, perhaps in, it's in that time that God is working and preparing a better future for you. So don't miss these next three weeks because I believe next time can be better than last time. Would you stand with me now for closing prayer? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Not because you're the God of second chances, but 
Because you're, God, you're the God of third chances and fourth chances and as many chances as we need when we finally quit resisting you and surrender to the God who created us and who sent his son to give his life. So Father, wherever this lands for us, just give us the wisdom to know what to do next and the courage to take those steps. And Father, I pray that these next few weeks, there would be a whole bunch of us who would be willing to hit the pause button long enough to allow you to complete in us what you began in us and what you began in the circumstances we never signed up for and possibly would never want to experience again. Just teach us to trust you as we wait and trust you as we start over. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.